All right, so um, in 1996, it was the year I turned 17 years old, and uh, my brother and I, he was 20 months older than me, we got our first car that we ended up sharing, and I ended up driving it. I was in 10th grade. I drove that car all the way through to my senior year of high school, and I'll never forget that car. You know, I was 17 years old. Uh, this car, it was a 1974 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. Now, a lot of you are going, what the heck is a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia? I got a picture, so we can put it up on the screen here. There it is. <laughs> That was my car, 1996, the seven, it was this 1974 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. The car was 22 years old when I started driving it. That's actually the color of my car. It was this like puke, putrid green, you know, and like that car was so fun. I mean, everywhere I drove it, people would look, so it was kind of a unique car. People would look at it. My friends loved riding in it. You know, it was, it was like Volkswagen's attempt at a Porsche but they, but they put a Volkswagen Beetle engine in it, you know, so it was like it had no performance. In fact, uh, Dave Clayton, who is also a pastor here, he and I were good friends in high school, and he reminded me the other day, he's like, hey, remember that time where we were in the Ghia and we, we were trying to see how fast we could go zero to 60? And he was like, it took us like 19 seconds like, to get from zero to 60. The thing was so slow, but people loved riding in it because it felt like a go-kart, largely because if you're in the passenger seat, you could see the road like under your feet because there was a rusted out hole underneath it. It was like, it was a beat. I mean, it was awesome. I loved it. But I remember my brother and I, when we got it, we would talk about how old it was. Like, man, this car's so old. It's like an antique. It felt like this ancient. I mean, it might as well have been a Model T for us. We're like, man, this car's so old. And my dad would laugh. My dad would kind of laugh about it and be like, the car's not that old. Like, we're like, no, dad, trust me, this thing's ancient. You know, my dad's like, it's not that old. Like, we couldn't understand. Well, a couple, year, a couple months ago, I had this moment where I was going to register the car that I drive now. And the car that I drive now is a 1999 Toyota Tacoma. And it hit me as I'm registering it that the truck I drive right now is 22 years old, the same age as the Carmen Ghia was when I got it in 1996. And it kind of hit me like, oh man, this thing, it does not feel old at all to me. Like a 99 Tacoma, I'm like, this thing's got years and years on it. This thing's amazing. I love my truck. And then, it, but I'm like, man, there are some of you in this room that you were born after 1999 and you walk by my truck and you're like, man, look at that antique truck. Thing's old, man. Thing's like older than I am. You know, what I realized in that moment is like, it's all about perspective, right? It's all about perspective. There, there is something about like experienced time, time experienced has this way of delivering over perspective. You know, my brother and I couldn't understand my dad's perspective because we had not lived the time that he had. He had something that we didn't, and it was perspective. You know, time is just kind of a, it's an interesting and funny thing. And this morning, part of what we're gonna be doing is really wrestling with this idea of time. We're gonna be talking about who God is, and there's gonna be some moments where it may feel like we're like bending our minds to like understand time and, and, and how time works and who God is in relation to time. Uh, but all of this is, is part of this new series. You know, last week we jumped into a new series. The series is called God Is, dot, 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 God Is, fill in the blank. And we are gonna spend the fall trying to explore the indescribable character of who God is. Now, the, 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 the whole nature of this, it almost feels like an exercise in futility because we're like, hey, we're gonna explore this indescribable thing. We're gonna try to describe that which is indescribable, which is why I just keep praying, God, we need your help to help us understand who you are. What I said last week, if you weren't here, the, the importance of doing this is because, man, A.W. Tozer, this author, he said, hey, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And if, that, if, if you don't believe it, just go out and listen to the sermon last week. We wrestled with what that means. But what we said was, hey, this whole series, we're gonna base it on this passage in Exodus 34. 
whole series is based on this passage in Exodus 34, and we're just going to be unpacking that over the next several weeks. And so I want to start with that passage, okay, and we're going to read it, but we got to understand what's happening in the passage before it can make any sense to us, okay? So in Exodus 33, we're just going to look at two simple verses that give us the context for Exodus 34. Exodus 33, starting in verse 18, this is what, what, what it says. It says, then Moses said, we'll talk about who Moses is here in a minute. Now Moses said, show me your glory. Moses just asked this question. He's like, God, will you, will you show me your glory, who you are, your presence? And look how God res- responds, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Okay, so this is the context for what's happening. So Moses goes up on this mountain ready to be, have the, the, the name, the presence of God revealed to him, and that's what we're reading when we get to Exodus 34, okay? And here's what happens. Look with me, starting in verse 6 of Exodus 34. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So this is the word of the Lord out of Exodus 34, and we read that, and it's like, man, this, what is this? This is, this is the name, the proclamation of who God is, and there's things in it that we, we feel tension with, things we wrestle with, And this whole fall, we're going to try to unpack what is it that God is saying about himself in this passage. Now, in order to understand completely what's happening in this this thing with God's name, he's proclaiming his name, we've got to back up in the story of this guy Moses a little bit. If you want to understand when God says, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, in order for us to understand what that means, we've got to go back a little bit in Moses' life. So here's who Moses. Moses was an Israelite man, and he rose to prominence at a time in Israel's history where they had been enslaved in another country for 400 years. Now, this feels, it is ancient history, but I want you to think, guys, this, this still happens today, Right? We still see refugee crises around the world where people are displaced out of where they belong and they're taken into another place. This is what was happening to the Israelites, okay? For 400 years, they lived in Egypt in slavery. And this guy, Moses, um, he he rose to prominence during this. Now, Israel was not a, you know, we think of a country, a place today. At this point, Israel was just a people group. They They were literally a family. They descended from a guy named Jacob, who was also called Israel. So in the middle of their enslavement, Moses is out in the wilderness. Now, here's what's interesting. He's actually hiding. He's in hiding. He's running because he doesn't want to be connected with his story, connected to Israel. While he's hiding, God comes to him. And he comes in a wild way. This is another sermon for another time. But he speaks to him from this burning bush. And God taps Moses on the shoulder and says, hey, you're going to lead Israel out of Egypt. Now, all this takes place back in Exodus chapter 3. Okay, now there's this little interchange between Moses and God in Exodus 3. And I want us to look at that because it kind of frames up what God says in Exodus 34. So flip with me to Exodus chapter 3, starting uh, in verse 13, okay? Moses is going to say something to God. God's just said, you're going to deliver my people. And Moses said to God, verse 13, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? 
then what shall I tell them? Isn't it interesting that Moses presupposes that the Israelites are gonna wanna know the name of God. We talked about this last week, right? This idea that God has a name. That God, G-O-D, that's not God's name. <laughs> like he has an actual name. And Moses understands that and he asks the Lord, he's like, God, what do I tell them? Like, what's your name? And so God responds, look in verse 15, uh, verse 14. So God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, God lays it out very clearly. He goes, this is my name forever. Last time I checked, 2021 was still encapsulated inside of forever. Like we didn't fall off a cliff somewhere and suddenly become outside. Like God was saying, hey, forever, this is my name. He says, this is how I want you to call me. The name I've given you to call me by. This is my name. But the, the problem is, if you're anything like me, I read that story and I get to the end of that, that passage and I go, but God, what is your name? Like I still don't get what your name is. You, you, you say, I am who I am, I am the Lord. There's, there's these three different places where he refers to his name. And what we miss is that there's a word play going on in the Hebrew language that this was written in. It's written in Hebrew. So I'll give you a brief Hebrew lesson, okay? The, the word play is around the Hebrew verb to be. So we use the word to be. Now the Hebrew version of to be is hayah. It's like a guttural judo chop, you know, hayah. You guys, everybody say it with me. Hayah. Yeah, okay, so now you know Hebrew. You can tell people you know Hebrew. Okay, this, this is the Hebrew word to be. And so when, when Moses says, well, God, what do I tell them your name is? God responds with this verb in the first person singular, I am. He says, God, what's your name? He says, my name is I am who I am. Echye is the Hebrew, I am who I am. And then he goes on, he goes, you go tell them that the I am sent you. And then he'll say it again in verse 15, but this time he says, say to the Israelites, the Lord. And we go, wait, that's totally different than I am. What are you doing, God? You're giving us different names. But see, what's happening here is that that's also another Hebrew version of the verb to be. He shifts from first person singular to third person singular. He goes from I am to he is. The word the Lord there is the word Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, this is the name of God. That's why we sing it in songs, Yahweh, Yahweh, we cry it out, right? Like this is the name of God. It is the Hebrew word to be, third person singular, he is. So when God's talking about himself, he uses the, the, with the phrase, I am, when he's, when he's saying, this is how you refer to me, he gives us, he is. He says, when they ask you who sent me, say the I am, he is the God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so the name of God is the I am, the he is. Now, this sounds kind of weird, you know, and so we, we call him Yahweh, and what you'll see throughout the Old Testament, and this is a little note, that when you read in the Old Testament, whether you're reading the Psalms or anywhere else, when you see that word LORD, and it's in all caps, if you look in your Bible in verse 15, that word LORD, notice it's in all caps. That word in the Old Testament is always Yahweh. That's the name of God. So when you see that, it's the name of God. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why they write Lord. We're not gonna get into that right now. We don't have time for it, but that's the name of God. 
Now, there's another name of God that we sometimes hear. I'm just trying to clarify some things for us. As some of us have heard, how many of you have ever heard the name Jehovah? You ever heard of the word Jehovah? Jehovah is just an English transliteration of the word Yahweh. It's all the same thing. The Lord, all caps, Yahweh, Jehovah, this is the name of God, and it means he is, the I am, okay? Now, there's all kinds of meaning packed into this name. It feels like kind of a vague, weird name for God, but man, what he's, what he's trying to show us is it's not just a title that he wears. It is a description of his being, of his essence, of his existence, and there's so much packed into this word, I am. And this week and the next three weeks, we're just gonna be like pulling out, man, that, the name I am, what does that even mean? And today what we're gonna be looking at is this idea that God is eternal. God is eternal. You go, well, you know, that feels like a leap. How did you get there? But here, here's, what, here's what God is saying to, to Moses. He says, listen, he says, I am who I am. Some of your Bibles might have a footnote that says, I will be who I will be. The reason is because the tensing there is confusing. And what God is trying to say is, hey, listen, I was, I am, and I will be. I existed, I exist, and I will exist. He's trying to capture the eternal nature of who he is to Moses. And just in case Moses misses it, he says, I am, he says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys lived around 400 plus years before Moses did. And so Moses is sitting there watching this bush burning, talking to him, and he says, I am, I always have been, I was the God of your ancestors. And Moses has one of those moments. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever had a moment maybe where you're sitting like on top of a mountain? and you just see how vast everything is. This mountain's huge and you feel small. Maybe it's sitting on the edge of the ocean and you're looking out at the horizon and you see this boat that looks like an ant, like a tanker, and you're like, my goodness, I'm so small. <laughs> you ever had one of those? Or maybe it's a moment where you're like in a big city, you go to New York City and you're walking around and you just see this sea of heads on the sidewalks in front of you and suddenly you're hit by the realization like, I am one of seven billion, like wow. And it's not like a defeating thought, but it's like a sobering perspective shift on who I am. This is the moment that Moses is having right here. He's going, wait, you're the God, the eternal God who always has been. You were the God, I, you're the God of my fathers. Like before I don't even know, like God, whoa, you're eternal. This is the kind of moment that Moses is having here. And Moses would reflect on this. It's kind of cool, you know, Moses Moses journaled, he wrote a ton. In fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. And, but he also wrote prayers and in, Psalm, in the Psalms, we have a Psalm from Moses, in Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, we catch Moses just trying to reflect on the bigness of who God is, the glory of who he is. And I love, I love what he writes in Psalm 90, in verse two, he writes this, I'm gonna put it up on the screen. It says, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, listen to this, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This word everlasting, this is Moses' attempt to try to grapple with the eternity of God, that God is eternal. A.W. Tozer, uh, that I've mentioned a couple times, he, he wrestles with this verse as well. And he says, I think what, what Moses, it's almost like what Moses was saying is, these are his words. He says, from vanishing point to vanishing point. And here's what he means by this. He says, the human mind, we can look back in time, right? We can look back at our memories. Maybe if we have a really sharp brain, we might have a living memory from when we were like three years old. That's like the first thing we remember. But man, beyond that moment, 
everything kind of just vanishes into this dim reality. We know it was there, but we can't see it. We can't, it's like, man, I wasn't there. And when we look back, it's this vanishing point in our memory. It's why no matter how hard my dad tried, he could not con- convince me that my 74 Carmen Ghia was not old. I was like, dad, it's older than me. Like its origins are before I was even around. It feels old. It's beyond the vanishing point. So Moses says from vanishing point to vanishing point, from everlasting to everlasting, it's like, man, we can look into the future and we can start to imagine maybe a little bit about what's coming, but man, we can't see. There's this moment where it just vanishes and we can't see beyond it. And what Tozer says, he goes, Moses is just going, man, from vanishing point to vanishing point, God was there at both points. God is there at both points and he is unaffected by any of those points in my life. He just is. C.S. Lewis, I'll give you another uh, way to get this. I told you time, we're like bending our minds here a little bit to try to understand God's eternal nature. Okay, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Uh, Let's put the white line up on the screen. Okay, I want you to imagine if you can, imagine if you can that this white line goes on forever in both directions. It's not bound by the constraints of the screen or the walls of the cannery. It can just keep going in all directions forever. This is the idea of God being eternal. Now let's put the blue line on the screen. This blue line represents all of human history. All of human history. I don't care if you think the earth is 6,000 years old or 90 billion years old. This line represents it all. What I want you to see is it begins in God, and it continues on in God, and it will end in God. As the line begins and ends on that infinite expanse, so time, as we understand it, began in God, and it will end in God. God dwells in the eternal, and guys, our concept of time dwells within God. This is why God, the Bible talks about human life being like a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. Man, we can't even get our mind. It's why the the, the biblical writers will say things like, hey, with God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. They're trying to be confusing. They're going, guys, God exists outside of our concept of time because he created time within himself. He is eternal. He is forever. He is at the beginning as he is at the end, as he is in the middle. He is on and on and on, never ending, everlasting to everlasting. He's bigger than we can get our minds around. It's mind bending the bigness of who our God is and what he's like. Yahweh, the God I am, the he is, he exists outside of our measurements of time. Now, here's, I know this is like, some some of you love this stuff and you're like, yeah, man, I'm totally tracking with you. Some of you are like, what is this guy talking about? I wanna try to bring it in, bring it down to the ground a little bit so we can understand what does this eternal nature of God, what does it have to do with us who are people, you know, in the 21st century just trying to follow Jesus. Like we gather here because, man, we, we're either following Jesus or we want to learn about following Jesus or we have an interest in learning more about Jesus. So what does this have to do with him? Well, for, the first thing is this, you know, Jesus, Jesus is an Israelite, okay? Jesus is a Jewish man. Okay? And so this means that when Jesus talks about God, it's important we understand, this is the God he's talking about. He's talking about Yahweh, He's referring to Yahweh, the eternal God. Okay, but it goes actually far beyond just the idea that Jesus, a Jewish man, taught us about this God. Jesus is gonna make some pretty radical claims about himself. 
in relation to this eternal God. And so one of the places we see this is in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 8 or uh, go there on your phone. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in John 8. Here's what's happening in John 8. Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders of his day. And they're having a conversation about who he is. Okay, and this is a question that all of us have to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? And so his, the people of his day are arguing with him about this. And in John chapter 8, verse 51, he's going to make this claim right here on the screen. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Now, I know we're here, like, like we're talking about Jesus, because I want you just to imagine being the religious leaders of Jesus today. <laughs> You're talking to a human being standing there in front of you, and they say, hey man, if you just believe what I'm telling you, you'll never taste death. You'll live forever. If somebody said that to you, <laughs> like, what would you think if somebody came to you and said, hey, if you just believe what I'm telling you, you'll live forever? Like, we're all gonna be kind of like, eh. I don't know about this guy. I'm not sure what's going on up here right now. You need to go see my friend that's a therapist. He needs to help you out a little bit. Like, this is what we would imagine. And this is exactly what the religious leaders do. They're like, they actually come back and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, Abraham, who's our father, he died. Are you trying to say that you're greater than Abraham? And I want you to look at Jesus' response in verse 58. He says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. I am. This is Ehweh, the Hebrew for to be. It is the very name that God revealed himself to Moses with. Jesus, standing there before the religious leaders of his day, he says, listen, guys, before Abraham was born, I am. If, if Jesus had a cheesy PowerPoint like I do, he would put a white line on the screen with a blue line, and he'd say, guys, pay attention. I'm the white line. You are the blue line. This is who I am. Jesus is going, I'm, I'm the God that spoke from the burning bush. I'm the God that came to Abraham to reveal the plan for humanity. I'm the God that parted the Red Sea. Jesus would say things like, I am the bread of life that fed the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus is claiming to be God. He says, I am Yahweh. This is who I am. Guys, this was scandalous. There's a reason that all of those religious leaders started picking up rocks to chuck them at Jesus because they wanted to kill him because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming blasphemy. Guys, this is, this is a massive understanding. It's a shift of who Jesus is. I think, you know, we've got to get Jesus out of the box of being a spiritual guru or a life coach or a therapist or a self-help guide. Like, guys, this is not who Jesus is. It's not who he claims to be. Jesus says, I am Yahweh. I am God. This is weighty. What I love about this is that it shows us, guys, the story of God is consistent. And I'm gonna hit on this every week. God is eternal, the God of the Old Testament did not change his mind or suddenly become Mr. Rogers you know, in the New Testament. Jesus wasn't the son of God that came to deal with his angry dad because he got enlightened. Jesus says, no, remember that God, Yahweh? I am, I am. It's a major shift. I love C.S. Lewis really wrestled with this idea. 
you know, he, he kind of said, hey, man, if we're going to be serious about trying to figure out who Jesus is, we have to listen to what Jesus said about himself. And he made it really simple. He said, man, he looks at John 8, and he goes, oh, Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh God. There's, there's a few options we can do with this. One, he could be a liar. He's just making stuff up to get people to follow him. If that's the case, guys, he's a lousy spiritual director. You know, if Jesus is a liar, we don't need to waste our time anymore. Two, he may not be a liar. Maybe he's a lunatic. Maybe he's crazy. If he's crazy, we don't need to waste any more time. We just need to go, that guy's crazy. Don't want anything to do with him. He's either liar or lunatic. The third option is he is Lord, Yahweh, the eternal king of the universe. And if Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords, God of the universe, then he is worthy of absolute devotion and our ears need to perk up when he talks and we need to fix our eyes on him to try to figure out how do we make sense of this life we're in because he is the source of all things. He is time, all time exists within him. Guys, this is who Jesus is. This is who he claims to be, what he says about himself. God has a name, Yahweh, the I am. And here's what I want you to see, that Jesus, Jesus' name, in, in Hebrew, Jesus' name is Yahshua. Yahshua, it is Yah, Yahweh, Shua, saves. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. It is, it is in his name that he is the salvation of Yahweh. He is Yahweh. Jesus is God. I, I went a long time in church before somebody finally told me that this was the truth about who God was. And the way it hit me, I heard somebody say it one time, and I honestly felt, man, that's scandalous and blasphemous. And I remember I picked up my Bible. I've been in church my whole life. I picked up my Bible, and I started reading through the Gospel of John, and I went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, Jesus makes some radical claims about himself. If you've never read it, I encourage you this week, try to read the whole Gospel of John like in a day, try to read it in a day and just count how many times Jesus describes himself or Jesus is described and see if you don't come away with the same conclusion. Jesus is God. Now, again, if Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, how does that impact the way that we live? You know, the first thing, first thing I want you to hear is this. At the very beginning of the story, God tells us, it says that it says that God created humanity in his image, that you were created in the image of the eternal God. You were created in the image of the eternal God. Now, this does not mean that we are eternal on into time past, but it does mean that when he creates us, there's a, this eternal thing in us, this eternal imprint. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Listen to this. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Did you know that God put eternity in your heart? He put a longing for the eternal in your heart. Guys, there's a reason why humanity longs for more. We seem to know innately that there's something wrong with this idea of death. That the human life is just too sacred, too beautiful, too good to be confined to this short amount of time that's like a vapor on this passing earth. It's like, there's got to be more. We seem to know this innately, right? This is why for centuries people have given themselves to trying to find a secret to youth. You guys ever heard of Ponce de Leon? He was this Spanish explorer. He gave his life to trying to find the fountain of youth in Florida. You know, I mean, the guy... <laughs> 
the guy believed that there were, he literally believed there was a fountain in Florida that if he went and drank from it, he would live forever. <laughs> he gave his life to it. You know, we look at that and we're like, man, what an idiot. Like, <laughs> this guy, he really thought that? Because did you know that right now, right now in Silicon Valley, there is a, a new startup tech company called uh, Altos Labs. Altos Labs is being funded by the likes of Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, the richest man in the world, pumping millions of dollars into Altos Labs. You know what Altos Labs is doing? They, they think they have found a way to take a living cell and actually make it younger. And they're trying to tap into this idea of, man, could we do this with a whole organism and make a whole being be younger? And they've they think from what I've read, again, I don't know if any of this is true, this is what I've read, they think they have actually found a way, they took a mouse, a living mouse, and they physically made the mouse younger. Now, they also took a bunch of mice and they got tumors and all kinds of weird stuff that happened to them, you know, but there's this taste of like, oh my goodness, we might be onto something, and people are pumping millions into this. Why? Why? Because we all know, like, man, death, oh, I don't want it. I wasn't made for death. I wasn't, I, there's, we were made for immortality. Your desire to live forever is actually from God. It's a deposit that he put in you. He put eternity into your heart. Your desire for immortality and for eternal life is a gift from God to stir a longing in you for something more than just this little life. God put that in you. It's his image in you, the image of the eternal God. But we gotta ask the question, like, man, if we were meant for eternity and we long for it, what happened? Like, why, if that's what, if that's what God created and God's eternal, then why, why all the pain, why all the death? Guys, this is one of the reasons why this, this writing, this ancient collection of writings is so valuable because it tells the entire story from the moment of God's beautiful creation until where we find ourselves now and on into the future of how it's all gonna unfold. It's all told right here. And here's the way it would describe it in Romans chapter five, verse 12. It says that through one man's sin, death entered the world. If you don't understand the concept of sin, let me just, I'll try to sum it up. Sin is when, is when humanity chose independence from the source of life itself. God is the source of all life. Humanity chose independence from that God. What happens if you unplug yourself from the source of life itself? Death happens. See, guys, sin is not just this thing that God was like, well, I'm gonna create these people. I'll come up with a bunch of ways that I think they should live, and if they don't, I'm gonna smack them. No, God created us for life and humanity chose independence from him. And through that sin, through that choosing of independence from the source of life, death entered into all the world and now we all feel the weight of it. Do you wanna know what the eternal God does when he sees death wreaking havoc in his creation that was intended to go on into eternity? The eternal God puts on mortal flesh and he comes and walks amongst us so that he could suffer the death that all of us deserve so that we could gain immortality with him forever. Guys, this is the gospel of Jesus. 
Jesus came to speak into that longing in our hearts that there's got to be more than just this short span of life, this vapor that I take a few breaths and then I'm done. Jesus came to say, no, there is more. You were made for more, but you are bound for death because sin in the world, I will take it all on me. I'll suffer the death in your place so that you can inherit eternal life in me. Jesus speaks to the deepest longing of the human heart to not be bound by the constraints of time in this age. He offers passage into eternal life in the age to come. Guys, I know this is like big, high-level stuff, but guys, this is the essence of the gospel. This is why we need freedom for sin, because we were meant to live forever, not be bound by death in this life and in this age. We will live forever. Those who are in Jesus, when Jesus comes back, this is what the Bible teaches, when Jesus comes back, those who are in Christ, you'll get a resurrected body. I know sometimes our concept of eternity with heaven feels so abstract, so fuzzy, that we don't even know how to long for it. But guys, what the Bible teaches is you will get a resurrected body, a body with taste buds that still taste, a nose that can still smell, ears that can still hear music and beautiful sounds and eyes that can take in beauty and splendor and touch that can feel pleasure and joy, all of the things that God made us for. You'll get a resurrected body that feels all of those things without the pain and brokenness of this world. This is what Jesus came to hold out and to offer to us, that there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. This is where the story's going. And this is what he invites us into. We follow the eternal God who has put eternity in our hearts and he has gone to every length to make sure that you have access to the ad eternal forever. Guys, this is the gospel. When we begin to understand this, there's so many practicals we could pull out, but I, I, we don't have time today to even look at all of them. What I want us to do today is just gaze upon the eternal God that wants to spend eternity with us so much that he came and died in our place so that we could be with him. He has an eternal life for you. When we begin to live into this and believe it in the spirit, it enables us to believe it. It changes, it gives us perspective. It gives us wisdom. It gives us courage. And just, even just real quick, you know, Moses in Psalm 90, later in that Psalm, he'll say this. He'll say, God, teach me to number my days so that I'll have a heart of wisdom. He's seeking after the perspective of God because our perspective, when we have the wrong perspective, guys, we chase after the wrong things. When we have the wrong perspective, the, the things of this life start feeling really appealing to us. When in reality, they're all just fleeting. They're just passing. The things that we all clamor for so much, they are passing away. This age will pass away, but there's an age coming where we get eternity. So, so it helps us let go of things that we don't need to hold too tightly on. But guys, it also, it gives us great courage when hard things come at us. Man, we're able to endure, and this is why the Apostle Paul would say things like, say things like hey, your light and momentary afflictions are, are attaining for you a glory beyond what you can understand. And we go, Paul, how dare you say my, my troubles are light and momentary? Do you understand what I'm going through? And Paul goes, yeah, I was beaten, I was whipped, I was stoned, I was shipwrecked, I was arrested and put in prison, and I was murdered for King Jesus. I understand the afflictions of this age, and they are light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that God has for us. Man, when we get that, can you imagine what would happen if we understood this? If God's people understood the eternal glory that he has for us, how different would we live in relation to this age? 
I'd lay it all down. Jesus, I'll lay it all down just to, to get one glimpse of your glory, Lord. I'll let go of everything, Lord. I, I won't chase after wealth or notoriety or people's opinions of me, Lord. I won't chase after comforts anymore, Jesus. I want you. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This is what we were made for. It's what we were made for. There's so many competing narratives, guys. This, this you only live once narrative, this eat, drink, be merry narrative. Like These things are in competition with the narrative of what God made you for, and he's inviting you into it. And if, you have, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it's like there's more still for you. Keep gazing upon the Lord. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know like he loves you so much. He has so much more for you than what this life can just offer right here and now. And he starts paying on it right now. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that is yet to come that when you step into life with Jesus, he starts giving you down payments on that eternal life and you experience it right now. It is glorious. And I invite you, give your life to Jesus. It's beautiful. It's worth it. It's amazing. This is the eternal God that we serve. This is who he is. We're gonna, you know, I, 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 we're gonna end this morning kind of the way we ended last week. And I've, I've been trying to get my mind around every week. Like how do we, man, what do we do? We're looking at big concepts. We're gonna end with communion and worship. But I wanna pray a prayer over us. So I wanna invite you, go ahead and get your communion. If you haven't gotten communion yet, you can go grab it off the bar off one of the tables, if you've got it with you. Let's all just actually stand together. Get your communion and let's stand together. Go ahead and, go ahead and rip the little cellophane thing off the top there. And Guys, communion, when we take this together, the word tells us that we are proclaiming the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the return of Jesus. And so if you're new to church, this is a new thing to you, just know as we take this together, we're proclaiming that we believe, we believe that Jesus, the eternal God, died the death that we deserve. We are proclaiming that he is coming back to usher us into eternity. Before we take it, I'm just gonna pray this prayer. I invite you to close your eyes. Just pay, if anything stood out to you today, anything hits you at all, with your eyes closed, I just want you to, just to, you can whisper it, you can say it out loud if you want to in your own heart. If anything hit you of the glory of God, it's revelation from him. It's not me teaching, it's the Holy Spirit. Just in your heart, you can just say, thank you, God, show me more. You can say it out loud if you want to. Thank you, God. Show us more. Thank you, God, for wanting to be known. Show us more. Lord, we know we need your spirit to know you, and so I just pray this blessing from Ephesians 3 over my church family right now. I pray, Lord, that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that we will be rooted and established in love. I pray that we may have power together with one another, with all of God's people, that we can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. And to know this love, may we know this love that surpasses knowledge, Lord, that we may be filled 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. God, fill us up with your fullness. As we wrap our minds around your bigness, your eternal nature, we come to you, we ask you, would you help us to be filled with the measure? Now to you, Lord, who is able to do immeasurably more, you are able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. To you, Lord, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.